Hello, and welcome to the Church 860 podcast. My name is Pastor Chris, and I'm the lead pastor of Church 860 located in Westerville, Ohio. Our podcast will have daily episodes uploaded where we have curated some of the best Bible teaching from across the globe. We hope you enjoy today's episode. Magnify your name to give you praise for all that you've done on our behalf, Lord. How you've blessed us and cared for us. How you've watched over us and purified us, God. We thank you for this faith family and that we can gather in your name today, God. Our heart's desire is to, to magnify you, to glorify your name, but also to hear from you, Lord, what you would say to your church today. So I pray that we come with hearts ready to be cultivated. Lord, that we would see the depth of the love that you have for us, oh God. And that we would live our lives for your glory. We thank you for this time of worship this morning, God. We pray that it was acceptable in your sight, that it was pleasing to your ear, oh God. May, it, may we have expressed our love in a genuine way. We love you. We praise you in Jesus' precious name. All right, if you got your Bibles, turn in your Bibles to 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3. If you don't have a Bible and you'd like to follow along, we have some over on the table over there. If you don't own a Bible, that's yours to keep. You take that with you, and then you can have a Bible that you can call your own. If you have version, you can pull it up on the app. I think we have Wi-Fi uh, today, and uh, it is accessible. Amy, before you said, will you get the lights, please? Thank you. So we've been working our way through the book of 1 John, studying it chapter by chapter, verse by verse. That's kind of what Church 860 is all about, and uh, tearing it apart and seeing what God would have to say to us. We know that John the Apostle is writing this epistle, the Apostle writing the epistle, at about 90 years of age. Uh, he's calling everybody little children at this point. It doesn't matter. Nobody's older than John. In fact, all of the other disciples have died at this point. Even Paul is gone at this point. He's really the last one alive. He's been Kentucky Fried. That's what we talked about. Oiled in oil. He survived Patmos. He survived everything. And so uh, he's writing to all of us, little children, those that would come behind him to encourage us, to strengthen us. He tells us throughout the, the letter he writes for four different reasons. We've covered three of the four. We won't get to the fourth one until chapter five. Uh, but the most recent one is, to, is, is our protection. We saw that in verse 26 of chapter two, where it said that we, he writes that we might be protected from the wolves. His, his heart's desire is to make sure that his little children are taken care of. And the way that we can be taken care of is to know the word of God. I think somebody came up to me, I don't remember who it was, after church last week and reminded me of an illustration that helps us to understand. When we're distinguishing between the truth and, and partial truths or incomplete truths or falsehoods, the way we do that is by studying the genuine word. And it's the same way that a the, the government would train bankers to seek out counterfeits, to find counterfeit bills. They don't tell the bankers to study all the different counterfeits. They say, study the genuine bill. And when you know the genuine bill inside and out, then you'll be able to recognize the counterfeit. The same is true with the Word of God. We study the Word of God. It's not that we have to figure out all the cults and figure out where they're wrong or necessarily, but it's when we hear something that isn't lined up with the Word of God, our spirit would testify and say, that's not true. And, and we know that because we've abided in the Word and, and that's why John wants to protect us. He says, protect yourselves by knowing the truth. So I think that's about where we left off. 
And he, he closed chapter 2 by saying, be born of God. And, and now he wants to talk about what it is to be born of God in chapter 3. I'm going to read just three verses today. So 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. Everybody tracking? Everybody with me? Here we go. Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God. Therefore, the world does not know us because it did not know him. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself, just as he is pure. Let's pray. Lord, these verses are so fundamental to our faith that I want to soak in them today. I want us to absorb them and to set them firmly in our hearts. So I pray that we would set aside every distraction right now. I pray that we wouldn't worry about the meal tonight or the bills later or work tomorrow or anything else, but we would just sit in your presence, O oh God, and that you would teach us. You are the great shepherd. I pray that you would lead us, your sheep. I pray that I might be an instrument in your hands, Lord, speaking your word. In Jesus' name. Amen. Like I said, so rich and deep are these verses. I just want to spend the day. I considered taking all of chapter 3 today. But I really felt that would do an injustice to these three verses in particular. And so I wanted to just soak in them. There's so much to consider. Look at the first word. Behold. That's, that's more than just observe. That's more than just, hey, look at this. John's just not trying to draw casual attention here. The word behold there would mean to gaze at to look upon, to ponder, to ingest it into our mind, into our souls. Behold this. Check this out. Don't just, don't just pass by this, he's saying. Take a moment and pause. You know, a good movie captures our attention without distraction for two hours. Sometimes two and a half, right? We don't even get up to go to the bathroom sometimes. <laughs> a good Football game will capture our attention, some of us, for three hours. Some of us don't like football. My wife, she gets a good three-hour nap anytime I watch football. A good book might capture our attention for, what, 10 to 20 hours, depending on your speed of reading and how big the book is. But we get focused when we're into a story, right? We forget the world around us, and we're into those pages. John would say, this of what I'm about to say above anything should hold our attention. Behold what I'm about to say. May this be what enraptures us, what captures our attention. And what is it? What manner of love the Father has bestowed, that word means lavished upon us. God's love isn't just a trickle from the faucet. You know, remember turning on just the faucet just barely to keep the pipes from breathing or... When you're outside in the summer, anybody else drink out of the hose? Mm -hmm. All right, maybe that's what's wrong with me. <laughs> uh, but you know, you just turn on a trickle so you don't get splashed in the face. This 
this that he has bestowed, the love that the Father has bestowed, it means poured out, gushing, lavished. You're, you're, you're bathing in it, absorbed in it, immersed in it. There's the word. That's the word I'm looking for. Immersed in it. And what manner uh, is he speaking of? It's That word manner means the quality of the object. What quality of love is he bestowed upon us? Now, the word love there, as you, we've talked about in the past, there's different Greek words for the word love. Um, there's the word eros, which is the love between a husband and a wife, the erotic love. There is phileo, the brotherly love, the city of Philadelphia, city of brotherly love. That's the word phileo. And then there's also, uh, I think there's one other one, which I can't remember at the moment, but the one that is given here is the word agape. And that was a word that actually had to be created as the New Testament was written in order to try to explain the love of God. And the way they define it is, or the way that we define it is, agape love is a self-sacrificing love. It's a love where I care so deeply about someone else that I'm going to place their needs in front of my own. I'm going to sacrifice myself. I'm going to put my desire, my wants, my needs in the backseat and pay attention to, give attention to your needs and your desire. That's self-sacrificing. That's the kind of love we're talking about here, an agape love. So what is the quality of this love? What is, behold, what manner, what quality of love is this that the Father has bestowed upon us? I came up with a couple examples. The first one, I'm going to have a hard time getting through, just so you know. It's, it came from Facebook this week about our city, about Westerville. And it fills me with love and fills me with pride, what was said. And I think I shared it midweek, but I want to read it again. Uh, just in, in, in the wake of the uh, funeral for the officers and what have you, this is what one officer who came in from out of town had to say about our people, our city. He says, I spent most of today attending the funerals of the fallen Westerville officers. Like all police funerals, for me it was a sad, solemn, and proud day. But not only was this the largest one I have ever attended, but the most amazing things occurred. The church service inside and out followed the usual pattern, taps, bagpipes, 21-gun salute, helicopter flyover, etc. But when it came time for the vehicle procession, I heard that as many as 2,000 police vehicles from around the nation participated. It got surreal. Citizens of Westerville came out in droves. <clears throat> Thousands, literally, lined the streets, even though the day was cold and windy. Everywhere, on light poles, trees, mailboxes, etc., blue ribbons were tied. Houses showed blue lights. Every business with a billboard had something supportive displayed. And flags were everywhere. American flags, thin blue line flags, American flags with thin blue lines. Citizens held signs, both handmade and store-printed, showing their support. Many called out, thanking us for our service. Not just their officers, all of us. Some even came out onto the street and up to our windows to do so. It was one of the most amazing experiences in my 31-year career. 
The new officer riding with me asked if it was typical. I told him it was never like this. The boost to our mail or the boost to our morale was indescribable. I know God was present in the church when we said farewell to our fallen brothers, but the hand of God was out on the streets of West Church. None of the officers present will ever forget. The love of God on display. That's the quality of love. That's I'm sorry, that's part of the picture. That's part of the quality of love. I wanted to show you another example, one that I came across this week. It's about a four or five minute video we're going to show real quickly. Just about what it is to love your neighbor as God has called us to love. So watch this with us. A little louder. Ann and I first met at a Bible study, and there was a number of us. It was small, but it was maybe eight or nine women in it. And she stayed after one time. We had just moved here, and it was a bad day, and I ended up on the floor. I've never known anybody with diabetes before, and um, I was so moved by that. And I thought, I wake up every day expecting to feel great and most of the days I do and I've been incredibly blessed with health and I was just really um, troubled by her illness. I have the kind that's almost a full-time job and if I forget about it for about an hour and a half I could be almost dead and it's just the way mine is. It is way out of control. It's very, very brutal. Over the years just praying for healing so many times and for so long so consistently and yet God not choosing that. That's been something that's been a struggle because I know it's not a matter of me jumping through the right hoops. And one day um, I opened the paper to read about this islet cell transplant um, study that was going on and it had the story of this uh, woman who had undergone the first transplant where they take the islet cells, the insulin producing cells, out of a donor pancreas and put them into the body of the diabetic. And it was, uh, she could get off of the insulin after um, having to be on a pump for years and years. So we began that process and we probably had 80 something tests run. And the results came back that I had all the right things wrong and all the wrong things right. So that I was a perfect candidate. And in fact, the doctor that recommended me said, you probably won't be alive in five years. Anyway, so you're a great candidate. Once we heard all that the study would entail and that you'd have to go three times a week and do all these things, I just committed to her in the car. I just remember saying, I'll take you. I'll just take you. have always been a really hard time for her and we'd have to be down there by 8.30 and I knew that would be a killer for her. So at the very least, I could just pick her up to all she had to do was walk out the door and fall into the car and wake up on the way. I would just be so wiped out in the middle of that. And I knew she was sitting right beside me praying. She was there with me during each transplant and when she was asked to help out with other things, she put everything else on hold. Probably the biggest thing that impacted my doctor was 
the way Ann loved me so unconditionally. And he knew it was different. Everybody knew that was different. And that was the comment that so many of them had. Was, God, I just wish I had someone in my life to walk alongside me like Ann has for you. And it was such a great transition to say, Christ is the most important thing in her life, and he is in mine too. And so it is clearly a gift from him. And it's not because I deserve a friend like this or anything like that. It was very simple just to kind of cancel things. And suddenly going to lunch with a bunch of girls didn't seem very important when all this other was going on. And, and so it just was very simple to simplify my life down to the point that I could be available. She, she's so willing to go beyond what is the acceptable norm. You know, there's kind of a boundary that people set and then they don't want to quite cross over that because they don't want to intrude or they don't want to be in your way. But when I am in a place where I'm so toxic and thrown up and can't stop, she's not standing outside the door going, are you going to be okay? She's in there in the bathroom with me with rags on my head and cleaning up after me. And she's not afraid to love boldly. That's a great another great example of agape love. Mm -hmm self-sacrificing. You saw it in hand where she gave up everything to pour herself into this other woman to, to display Christ's love to her and to the doctors and everybody else around her. A great example. But again, I don't think it tells the whole story. As beautiful as ex those examples are, the Westerville story and this story as well, I don't think they're going to hold a candle to the manner of love that we're speaking about, that John is speaking about here. What is the depth of the Father's love for us? John tells us. He tells us the next phrase, that we should be called the children of God. That's how deep his love is for us. We sang this morning, how deep the Father's love. That was intentional. I told, I asked, suggested to Michelle, she fixed the set list most of the time, but I said, hey, we need to do this something this morning. <laughs> And the line is, how deep the Father's love for us, how vast, beyond all measure, that he should give his only son to make a wretch his treasure. What manner of love has he bestowed upon us? The kind that gave his only son to make you and I the wretch his treasure. Think about this. God could have saved us without love. God could have saved us out of pity. If you saw a man on the street who was homeless and down on his luck and really struggling, you could take pity on that man and provide him a meal, perhaps bring him into your home, uh, allow him to get cleaned up, shower, shave, kind of help him set on his feet, maybe get him into some counseling, maybe help him out with a career into a job, give him a place to stay. You can do all of that without loving that man just having pity on his situation and caring for him. But Jesus, God the Father, did more than that. In that, he loves us. He doesn't just pity us. 
He loves us to the extent that he adopts us into his family. We become the children of God. I wanted to, and I, we struggle. Technology is such an issue at times. It frustrates me so much. I wanted to show you guys the video this morning of the first time Michelle and I met Kimberly. Um, and we couldn't get it to display right on the, on the system. It was goofy. It's about a 40-second video, and I'll be happy to show it later if you're interested. But he comes out, and the dude was so stinking scrawny. He was from Ethiopia. He was undernourished and whatever. He's got pants on that were like four times too big. So he comes out, and he's holding his pants like this, you know, kind of walking like this. You know, and he comes out, and he gives Michelle a hug, and then he shakes her hand. And he comes up to me, and he gives me a hug, and of course I'm like four times his size, you know, and he shakes my hand. But what I wanted to show you in that was, before that moment, for years, we had been working toward that moment, and we had developed a love for Kimu before we ever met him, in the same way that God has a love for you and I while we were yet sinners. While we were an enemy of his, he has this love for us before we've even officially met him. It's a a great picture that we become the children of God. He adopts us into his family. And you may have heard over, you know, conversations or whatever, that, 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 well, everyone is a child of God. You may have heard that. Isn't everybody a child of God? All the people of the world? Didn't we sing that? Something like that in Sunday school? While God loves every person, we know that, John 3.16, for God so loved the world, and by that he means the people of the world. It doesn't mean that every person is a child of God. He does love every person, and by that love, he gives an invitation to become his child. But he does not force adoption on anyone. He extends the invitation, but he doesn't force it on anyone. It says in, in the Gospel of John, in chapter 1, John wrote uh, in verse 12, But as many as received him, to them he gave them, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name. So the invitation was extended because he loves the world. But as many as receive him, to them, they are the ones who become the children of God, those who believe in his name. That's how you come into the family. That's how you are adopted. And in this adoption, we gain something through Jesus Christ greater than Adam ever possessed. A lot of people would say, well, let's just get back to the Garden of Eden. Let's just get back to that pure innocence. Let's get back to the way God intended us. But in the adoption through Jesus Christ, we gain something that Adam never possessed. We never once read of Adam being called one of the children of God in the sense that John means. He was never adopted as a son of God in the way that believers are. We err when we think of redemption as merely a restoration to what was lost with Adam. We are granted more in Jesus than Adam ever had. That's the way David Guzik said it in his commentary. I, I couldn't have made it any better. We are granted more in Jesus than Adam ever had. What manner of love is this? It's unlike the world has ever known. This is probably, this example or this story might might come close to trying to explain the Father's love for us. You 
are on trial for murder. You have committed murder. And not only are you on trial in the circuit court, you are on trial in the grand court. You are on trial before a king. The king is playing as the judge. That's something that our American mind doesn't fully wrap around. We've never lived under a king. But imagine if you were on trial for murder, and the trial you're on, or the, the murder you committed, is you killed the king's son. You killed the king's son. And when it comes time to pronounce judgment, the king says, you're pardoned. Though you are guilty, you're pardoned. No jail time, no parole, you're clean, and you're free. And then the king, the judge, goes one step farther. He draws up papers to make you a son of his. To make you a daughter of his and adopt you into his family. That's the depth of the love that the Father has for us. The judge who rules over all. We've committed murder against his son by sinning against the holy God. And I, I, I think that's a, a neat representation, but I think it even goes one step farther in that in his love for us, it was the king who killed his own son that we might be free and brought into his family. That's the depth of the love that the Father has for us. And my encouragement to you today is, is it is worthy to behold. It is worthy for us to gaze upon, to soak in. John goes on to say, the world does not know us because... It did not know him. Once you're adopted into the family of God, you begin to take on the characteristics of that family. It happened with Kindu. He didn't speak a lick of English until he met us. I mean, he was. Uh, they tried to teach him a little bit of it. I remember his first, I think his first English word, other than no, <laughs> was Christmas. We were walking through the airport in Washington, D.C., I think it was, and they had a Christmas tree set up. When we were bringing him home, when he pointed at it, he said, Christmas. I'm like, yeah. And in that, that was the beginning of him taking on some of our characteristics. He, he starts to act like us and, and um, speak like us and love like us. And we're a very sarcastic family. That's how we display our love for one another. And he's starting to gain our sarcasm even. You know, he, he'll pull off the sarcastic joke every now and again, and we just all fall on the floor laughing because it's like, yes, you get it. That's who we are. <laughs> Once adopted into the family, we begin to take on the characteristics of the family, whether good or bad, in, in the Rogers instance, but in the family of God, it's all good. And as Jesus was radically different to the pattern of this world, and certainly if you study the life of Jesus, he was very different, so we too are to be different than the pattern of this world. Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Do not conform to the pattern of this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Line yourself up with your family values. You're one of the king's kids now. Behold, he says in verse 2, now we are children of God. Does that sound great? That sounds amazing. I, I like that title. That's the one I want on my back. My, my football jersey. Child of God. That's all it needs to say. Behold, 
or beloved rather, now we are children of God. And it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Uh, this is a fun verse to chew on. We are children of God, but it's not been revealed what we shall be, what we're going to be, what we have to look forward to. We need to understand when Jesus stretched out his arms on the cross for you and I, and he cried out, what did he say? It is finished, meaning it is paid in full. The debt has been completely paid. It's an accounting term to say there is no debt any longer. I've paid it all. That's what we sing. Jesus paid it all. Not most of it. But on the cross, he paid for it all. And by that, what I mean is Jesus on the cross paid for our salvation, he paid for our sanctification, and he paid for our glorification. We, we get that through the study of the book of Romans, that, that Paul unfolds all of these things for us. It wasn't just that we were freed from the penalty of sin. That's what salvation is, is to be freed from the penalty of sin. We're also sanctified, which means we're freed from the power of sin. And we're also glorified. He paid for that on the cross, which means we're freed from the presence of sin. Now, you and I aren't free from the presence of sin here and now. We live in a sin-filled world. But there is a day coming when we will see him face to face, when all will be made right, and when we will stand in a holy place where sin is not permitted to enter. And that's our glorified state. We, we don't yet know what that will fully be. I think Paul says, we look now as though in a mirror or a dim light, but then we shall see fully, then we shall see face to face, right? Back then, they didn't have the nice mirrors that you and I have today that we confront ourselves with. I don't do a whole lot of that anymore. But, you know, it just, it's, you put lipstick on a pig, you know? <laughs> it just, it's, it's of no value. But back then, the mirrors were, were warped and, and dark, and, and they gave you a reflection, but it wasn't much of a reflection. It didn't even give you an accurate representation, and that's kind of what Paul is saying. We don't fully have the full picture yet, but we will one day. When we're saved, remember Jesus paying for all of these at the cross, when we're saved, we become part of his family. We are also sanctified, meaning we're being conformed into his image. We're being changed to look more and more like him, and that's why the world wouldn't recognize us. And there's a day coming when we will be like him. We shall be glorified. We're going to sow the perishable seed and reap the imperishable seed. I don't know about you, but the older I get, the more appealing that sounds. This seed is perishing, right? The knees are going, the hips are going, the back is going, the mind is going, the teeth are falling out, the hair it was gone a long time ago. You know, that it all is fading away. That's the destruction of sin in our lives, is that it causes the body to perish. But there's a day coming which we will shall reap the imperishable seed. We will have a glorified body. And it's going to be amazing. I would contest, and people will say, well, what are we going to do in heaven? Sit on clouds and play harps all day long and... No, we're created to work. Work became a curse when we fell in the garden, but work has always been around, and work is a good thing. And so we're created to work. We'll continue to work, but we'll work. Maybe my job will be tilling the soil of heaven and, and, and turning over seed, and we'll wake up the next morning and won't have blisters, it won't have sores, won't be tired. 
It will be amazing. I, I, I don't know fully what it's going to be like, but if we're going to be like Jesus, it's going to be interesting. We saw Jesus in his resurrected body in the scriptures. He just shows up in rooms. Right? Locked lock doors, locked windows, and all of a sudden he's there. If we're going to be like Jesus, do we get to do that? I think that'd be kind of cool. I think I want to be in Bermuda. I'm in Bermuda. <laughs> you know, or whatever. You know? We will be like him. And more than just have the attributes, or more than just have the, the powers that Jesus has, we'll be like him in that we will be, we will hold the same characteristics that he holds. We'll also have glorified character fully conform to his image. Now that doesn't mean we'll cease to be ourselves and we won't know each other in heaven, or we won't, so we'll be like this whole nirvana kind of thing where everybody's just this, you know, a drop in the ocean and all the drops look the same. It's not like that. We'll continue to have our personality, our unique character that God has given us. Um, we'll still be ourselves, but our character and our nature will be perfected into the image of Jesus's perfection. We're not going to be clones of Jesus, but we'll be conformed into his image. And then John says something else. He says also, not only will we, we be conformed into his image, or not only will we know then, but we, will, we shall see him as he is. What a glorious thing. I... We, 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 um, Billy Graham was laid to rest this week, finally went home, and that's the way he would say it. He'd say, this world's not my home. Heaven is my home. I'm just visiting here. And, and, and a lot of Billy Graham's quotes had become cliche in Christianity, but revisiting them after he passed away this week, there's so much truth in them, and they're so simple. He's called, he said he was called to love. It's God's job to judge, or it's the Holy Spirit's job to convict. It's God's job to judge. It's my job to love. Very simple. I love that. That's, that's what we are, are called to do. And Billy Graham, more than anyone, perhaps other than Chuck Smith, as I heard him talk, spoke about and looked forward to going to heaven. He was excited about it. We get you talk with people in conversation, and they're like, well, I'm pretty happy here. I don't need to go to heaven just yet. You know? But the more you get to know him, the more you are conformed into his image, the more you fall in love with him, the more you look forward to the day when we shall see him face to face. There's a lot of things about heaven that I'm looking forward to. Um, seeing loved ones who have gone on before us. I was in high school when my grandfather passed away. He's a Methodist minister. And we didn't interact a whole lot in my life. There, we visited him now and again, and had spent time with him, but I always felt he was aloof. Um, and I think that was just kind of the person that he was. He's a very, very intelligent man and wasn't very good at communication. And I don't think that it wasn't that he didn't love my family or, or me personally, but I didn't get to know him very well. He passed away when, we were, when I was in high school, and I'm looking forward to sitting down and, and speaking with him and, and learning about the things that he did and how he leveraged his life for God's glory. I, I look forward to that. 
look forward to seeing my pastor, Pastor Dave, one day again. And then, and then hanging out with him and, I don't know, maybe playing racquetball. That's what we used to do. I remember uh, one nasty accident that Dave and I had playing racquetball. I thought I killed him. <laughs> I hammered a shot so hard, and it hit him square in the eye. I thought, I, we, of course, we're dumb, not wearing goggles, and blah, blah, blah. And we learned to wear goggles after that, you know. But I thought I put the eye through his back, the back of his head. I was just like, oh, my gosh, I've killed my pastor. What's the church going to do? And then the Lord took him home, and, and I look forward to the day when we'll get to see each other again and, and fellowship with one another. He punches me in the arm and says, hey, best buddy in the whole wide world. That's what he called everybody. <laughs> I look forward to meeting the great men and women of our faith, don't you? Getting to heaven, I was talking with somebody about this last week. I think as we are given knowledge in heaven, that we will just know who people are. Like, we'll get to heaven and go, that's Paul. That's the Apostle John. There's Moses. There's Charles Spurgeon. We'll just, we'll know. We'll have the intimate knowledge of it being revealed to us. And we'll have an opportunity to sit down with them and, and share the stories of the great faith. We'll get to walk on streets of gold. I'm sorry, but that kind of trips me out. I like, I, I, that, that Those things that we value so much here on earth is going to be asphalt in heaven. And it's going to be so pure, unlike the gold we have here on earth, that it's going to be clear, scriptures would tell us. And we get to walk on it. That's going to be cool exploring the new heaven and the new earth, being a part of the myriad to worship God on the throne. Imagine the throne in the, in the center and surrounded by the myriad of people, millions upon millions, bowing and worshiping, singing in a choir. I think it was um, Randy Alcorn has said, and the choir broke out in 24-part harmony, right? We, I, I sang in a choir that we sang eight-part harmony once. It was intense. It was incredibly difficult. In heaven, there's 24 parts, or whatever. We don't know what it will be, but just as an example, it will be grander. Seeing the elders and the angels, and I can't wait to see these four living creatures. And the description that boggles my mind, and I can't get an image of what it looks like in my head. I can't wait to go, that's the four living creatures. I get it now. We get to do all these things when we get to heaven. Yet, what makes heaven heaven is the unhindered, unrestricted presence of Jesus. That will be the greatest part of our eternity. We will see him face to face. Behold what manner of love is bestowed upon us, that we would be called the children of God, that we would get to see him face to face, that we would be adopted into his family. As we behold all that he has lavished upon us. Sorry, one more verse. It says in verse 3, And everyone who has this hope in himself, in him, purifies himself, just as he, Jesus, is pure. As you and I behold the love of the Father that he has lavished upon us, as we hopefully await the revealing of what shall yet be, in, the, in our glorified state, we respond by purifying ourselves. We respond by wanting to look more like Jesus than the world. 
our response to beholding the love that he has for us is to worship him. Right? That's what worship means, is to declare his worth. We, with our lives, are going to proclaim how worthy he is of our love. More than what we could give with our love, he is worthy. We respond by making ourselves pure, that our, our lives wouldn't be adulterated. That's, that would be the opposite of purity. Purity is singularly focused. It's, it's the idea of chastity or, or being chaste or devoted to one thing. It could be translated as sanctified, that it's set apart for one purpose, right? The, the instruments in the temple were sanctified. They were only used for one purpose, and that was for the sacrifices. And, and so we, he's calling us to a, a sanctity to say, no, you be holy, you be different, you leverage everything you have, your time and your talent and your treasure, toward loving him and displaying that love to those around us. Our response to the love that has been lavished upon us should be our worship of him. So what does that look like? We bear fruit in keeping with repentance. That our lives would show that we've repented and placed our faith in Jesus Christ. That we wouldn't be hanging out at the bars on Friday night and showing up at church on Sunday morning. We'd stop the, the bar scene. Because you're there to witness. And that's a tricky thing. Especially if you've been in the bars before. We bear fruit in keeping with repentance. We let our light shine so that people may see our good works and glorify our Father in heaven. It's not about who I am or building up my name or building up my kingdom anymore. It's about, I want to do these things. I want to display my love on the streets so that an officer who you know, <coughs> is involved with 2,000 other cars in a, in a, in a what's it called? Procession. Procession will um, see the hand of God. We love as we have been loved, so that all the people of the earth may know the Lord is God. There is no other. First Kings 8, 16. That's why we do this. So that all the people of the earth may know that they're loved, and that an invitation has been extended to them that they might become the children of God, that they may taste and see what we have tasted and seen. That he is good. So let's behold the love that he has for us. Let, us, let it encapture, enrapture us more than any shiny object of this world. Let's fall all the more love in love with him. One more time. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called the children of God. Therefore, the world does not know us, because it did not know him. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. Father, we thank you for this word today. And I pray that anybody that has not yet received the invitation to become one of your children, that might be hearing this, be it right now in this place, live on Facebook, or, or in the future and online, Lord, 
I pray that if they haven't yet accepted that invitation, that they would know that they're loved to the depth that they are. That Jesus, you went to a cross that we so rightly deserve. That you took the wrath of a holy God on our behalf. That we might be forgiven and called the sons of God, the daughters of God. What a glorious thought. How deep is your love for us so far? That you would take your only son to make wretches like us your treasure. And I pray that if today be the first day that they accept the gift of salvation, that they place their faith in you, believing in the name of Jesus Christ, repenting of their sin, confessing their need for a Savior, Jesus, you would embrace them in your arms in salvation. I pray that the rest of us who have taken that step already, we are adopted as sons and daughters of God. I pray that we would purify ourselves. That we would set aside the distractions of this world and live wholeheartedly for you. There is a day coming when we, would, we shall see you face to face, Lord, and man, we look forward to that day. But until then, there's a world outside that needs to know that you love them and that there's an invitation awaiting their response. So may we continue to purify ourselves and to live for your glory until all the world would know that you alone are God. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Church 860 podcast. We hope that you've enjoyed it. If you have, we ask that you would like and subscribe to the podcast so that you can get daily updates. If you'd like to know more about Church 860, please visit church860.com. Thank you. God bless.